Welcome to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And yes, we need a revolution, a revolution of love, a revolution of real health, real healthy immunity. Because right now, I mean, I don't know if everybody can see the big picture here of what's happening, but we, we are really in a battle between allopathic pharmaceutical medicine and natural immunity and uh, terrain theory, which is what science supports right now. The whole allopathic side addresses symptoms. The naturopathic side addresses underlying causes of susceptibility. We know with COVID-19 that 99% of people are not susceptible to severe disease. Most people don't even know they have it or they just have very minor symptoms. So they're immune systems that nature gave them are doing a beautiful job with it. So we know it's individual susceptibility in a small fragment of people that puts them at risk. And we want to save those people. We want to heal those people, but we don't need to all live in fear. We need to live as informed individuals. Right now, there's this huge push, a huge push to get kids caught up on their, their vaccines, which is a marketing, um, marketing language, and also the flu vaccine. Uh, a lot of money is pouring in for the Washington State Department of Health and all the Department of Healths around the country to really do a big push on the flu vaccine this year. And um, I really caution you to do your research, do your homework, go into informedchoicewa.org and look up the flu vaccine, find out what it can and cannot do. And there is also a big concern because some studies in the past looking at, at what the flu vaccine can make you susceptible to. So it has the potential to make you susceptible to other upper respiratory infections. And a military study uh, just a couple of years ago um, showed that it made you more susceptible to coronavirus. Now, when they did this study, we did not know about COVID-19. So it's not saying specifically that it would increase your risk of COVID, but we don't know that. We don't know for sure. So I encourage you to do your homework, um, research what you can do to keep your own immune system strong and whatever keeps your own immune system strong from COVID also protects you from the flu. That's the beauty of addressing underlying susceptibility is it protects you from everything. I want you all to sort of be aware of the messaging happening right now, because I mean, no industry pays more for marketing messaging than the, the joint sort of um, what I call pharma state. It's the public private partnership between um, public health entities that work um, with and collaborate with the pharmaceutical industry to push out the messaging. Um, <clears throat> so there was a a Yale University study that just came out, and it I've never seen such blatant um, published evidence of what is done in order to compel people to choose a product. So this Yale University study um, was about vaccine messaging, and they were testing messages to see which one would motivate people to get the vaccine. So their primary outcome was somebody saying, yes, I would get that vaccine. So there were 4,000 people in this 
study and the messaging ranged from, so we had a personal freedom message, uh, which was how COVID-19 is limiting people's personal freedom and by working together to get enough people vaccinated, society can preserve its personal freedom. So that was one of the messages tested. Self-interest message, a community interest message um, that if you get vaccinated, you lower the risk that loved ones will get sick. Um, economic, economic benefit message. And then they got into the guilt message. And um, so they used messaging that said the best way to protect them is by getting vaccinated and society must work together to get enough people vaccinated. It asked the participant in this study to imagine the guilt they would feel if they don't get vaccinated and they spread the disease. Another one said, ask the participant to imagine the embarrassment they would feel if they don't get vaccinated and they spread the disease. And then it asked um, to imagine the anger they would feel if they don't get vaccinated and they spread the disease. And then it says, then they said, if one doesn't get vaccinated, that means you don't understand how infections are spread and you are ignoring the science. And then the last one was the bravery message that said, doctors and frontline medical workers are brave and those who choose not to get vaccinated are not brave. So this was an actual study at Yale that was published. Um, so pay it, just sort of pay attention to the messaging that's out there and just know that these are for-profit pharmaceutical uh, pr uh, products that are tools that in a free country, you are free to choose. I would hope you would choose them after only doing a full investigation of the product, of your individual susceptibilities, your individual needs. Um, when it comes to the back to school vaccines, I wanna give a little shout out to Margaret in Vancouver, cause she said, she reminded me that a lot of people don't know that in Washington state, we have exemptions. I once had a conversation with um, Michelle Roberts, who's the head of the immunization department at um, uh, with the Department of Health. Um, who's also uh, chair-elect of an organization that's a collaboration of the pharmaceutical industry called AIM. And I asked her if they could put in their child profile notifications information about the availability of vaccine exemptions. And she said, no, there's no law that says that the Department of Health actually has to tell you about the existence existence of exemptions. And because the people who work at the Department of Health believe in vaccines, they don't feel compelled to tell you about exemptions. Um, I believe in freedom, medical freedom. I believe in your right to choose what is best for you and your child and to make good, healthy choices. And so that's why on uh, informedchoicewa.org, you will find an exemption page where you can learn about your legal right um, and how to go about um, exercising that legal right. Um, and so the other marketing message that's going out there is telling you that the only way to prevent infection is to be vaccinated. Well, that's sort of absurd, right? We have immune systems. Healthy people are resistant and resilient. They do not get sick even if exposed. If they do get sick, they they might get minimal symptoms. You can be very respectful and stay home when you're not well. You can cover coughs, you can cover sneezes, you can wash your hands. There's a lot of things you can do to be a very responsible member of society without taking the risk of a pharmaceutical product. Um, so that's another mess marketing message I want you all to be 
on the alert for. Um, and also know that even though the messaging says that you get vaccinated to protect your neighbor or protect you know somebody else, um, many vaccines are not designed to actually prevent infection and transmission. And so what you need to know is like the pertussis whooping cough vaccine, if you get this vaccine, you still fully colonize and you can fully transmit. In fact, newborn studies are showing newborns are catching whooping cough from their fully vaccinated siblings. So that vaccine is not designed to stop person-to-person -person transmission. And then we have vaccines like the measles vaccine, um, which is designed to stop person-to-person -person transmission. However, there's a two to 10% primary failure rate. So up to 10% of people who get two doses never mount uh, an immune response and they are fully susceptible to the measles. What's worse is that the CDC studies show that by 20 years out, people, uh, at least a third of individuals are fully susceptible to measles again as adults. This is moving us into an era never ever experienced before when it comes to communicable infections, especially uh, measles. In the 1960s, when um, everybody got the measles and there was no vaccine, there were maybe 400 to 500 deaths, very, very few deaths. And now we know about vitamin A and there's a lot of other things we know about. I would think we could have that be even lower. Um, everybody about the age of 15 or over had lifetime immunity due to having gotten measles as a child. And mothers who had had wild measles as a child had very strong passive immunity that protected their children for the first year of life. When the measles vaccine was introduced, it appeared to work really, really well because almost everybody in the United States of America was already immune, except for a little bandwidth of children who of appropriate age to safely get it had not yet experienced it. But now here we are 50, 60 years out, and we have the unusual, very concerning circumstance where adults, at least a third, are now susceptible to measles and newborns are susceptible to measles because the vaccine doesn't provide a lot of passive immunity to the infant. Um, there's just vaccination immunization is very complicated and and i just welcome everybody don't believe me don't trust me go read the science go down that rabbit hole learn what there is and if you decide that something different should be done please get active because we in this covid chaos we're really in the midst of a battle between you for your medical freedom for you to even have that choice um and with that, that's sort of uh, my soapbox for the day. I just wanted to get that out there. I have an amazing guest, and I'm going to introduce her. We're going to chat a bit before. I can't believe that clock's already saying the first break. Bernadette does like to talk. You guys know that already. So I have with me today Dr. Teresa Deicher, PhD, graduated from Stanford University School of Medicine with a doctoral degree in molecular and cellular physiology. She has over 47 issued patents and three discoveries in clinical trials. She has had extensive scientific and management experience in the commercial biotechnology field at Genentech, Repligen, Zymogenetics, Immunex, and Amgen. 
and she has led a team of innovative scientists at AVM Biotechnology since 2008. Dr. Deicher is the founder of both AVM Technology and Sound Choice Pharmaceutical Institute. Through uh, the nonprofit Sound Choice Pharmaceutical, Dr. Deicher researches and lectures on the scientific and medical implications of using aborted fetal DNA in vaccine manufacturing. At AVM Biotechnology, she and her team of scientists have developed a drug with a novel mechanism of action that mobilizes the body's own natural immune cells to fight cancer and potentially COVID-19. So we've got a lot of fantastic stuff today to talk about. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio, Dr. Deicher. Thank you. <laughs> I talk a lot. I'm, I promise I'm going to give you time to oh, talk. Oh, I love to hear you talk. <laughs> you just keep going. <laughs> now, um, I would love to start with you telling listeners, you know, how did you get started in all this? When did you decide you wanted to be a research scientist? Oh, um, I was raised all my life um, to be a actual treating physician. And so I went to Stanford as an undergraduate um, with the idea that I would um, you know, eventually get an MD. And I worked in hospitals since I was 13 years old. And that was before uh, you couldn't get a job until you were 15. So my first job was in an oncology clinic. And then I worked at the University of Washington and Swedish Medical Center. And um, I would spend my breaks and my lunch hours. Um, I drew blood. So I, I was always assigned the ICU. And I would spend my breaks up there with the people alone on the ICU. And I just found it um, really emotional uh, when they did not do well. And um, because of that and my love of science, I decided that I would rather develop drugs that would help them uh, than actually treat them and deal with um just that emotional loss. Um, and I was very young. I think now I might've made a different decision, but um, it was just very emotional for me when I would spend so much time with them and then they wouldn't make it. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to tell you that, you know, as somebody who really supports natural medicine, I don't completely discount the extreme value of allopathic medicines, of medicines in emergency situations that can jump in and 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 repair and help at times when you know nature was not able to get you where you needed to be. And um, I think what we really need is you know, integration is starting, but it's it's too slow. I would love to see this more of this marriage of bringing in these products that are hard hitting from the pharma side, and then making sure we're supporting with vitamin C and D and zinc and holistic to um, to help people in this in the critical situation um, when they find themselves that way. Um, so, well, then what brought you to stem cells? Oh, I uh, have been interested in stem cells and regenerative medicine since I was a graduate student uh, working on beta blockers for heart failure at Stanford and observed in my um, models uh, regeneration of heart tissue. And so it just a light turned on and, um, you know, regeneration has always been a great interest to me. Um, you know, I think it is 
I do have to smile as a person, you know, who spent my entire career developing pharmaceutical drugs. Um, I, I do have to say, um, you know, we need, uh, we need medicines, I think, on a larger scale than someone like you would want because <laughs> the majority of people are not going to eat healthfully, exercise, make sure they have their vitamins and their zinc. And um, it, it's really, you know, unfortunate. And if you even look globally, I mean, look at this global eff effort. Well, we're just going to go vaccinate everyone. Well, what does that do for them if they don't have clean water and food, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, the basics are that healthy diet, healthy lifestyle, but not everyone's going to do it. But for those who will live like that, you'll probably rarely need pharmaceutical drugs except in, you know, extreme cases. And it should always be a patient's choice. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, that's what I definitely support. And from the beginning, like Informed Choice Washington, we were one of the first to have on our website. Um, we're keeping track of the healing protocols for COVID that are out there. Hydroxychloroquine, a drug, was one of the first things we posted about because, you know, we want to be part of the effort to save lives. We want to educate people on their immune system you know, um, to ultimately take over. Um, but right, you need to be able to save lives now. So I so applaud that. Um, well, and, you, and you can get, you know, that that source of hydroxychloroquine from eating grapefruit. Grapefruit, do tell. Well, it's in the, the rind, as well as in the fruit. So, um, you know, grapefruit is a good source of like the quercetins and whatnot. Oh, okay. So you're talking about quercetin. So the natural product that does the same thing, the zinc ionophore quercetin. Wow. Right. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know about the grapefruit. I knew about onion skins um, and elderberry are very yeah. big. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really cool. Um, okay. And so now, one thing I didn't say in my introduction is you are actually credited with, you're going to be in the history books, if not already there, for discovering the adult stem cell. Um, and you know what? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make listeners wait to hear about that because it's, it's time to move to a break. Okay. We come back. We're going to hear about the discovery of the adult stem cell from Dr. Teresa Deicher. You're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. So you know, all healing begins in the cells. And for the cells to do their job, 
Well, they need the right nutrients, like vitamin C and D, and gases, like oxygen. Did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen? Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy, HBOT for short, is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150kknw. Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And with me is Dr. Deicher. And she's about to tell us about stem cells, uh, about the uh, discovery of adult stem cells. So um, the, the adult uh, stem cell that I discovered uh, is actually not the first adult stem cell that was discovered, the hematopoietic stem cell. And, uh, and some other uh, interesting stem cells had already been discovered and described. But what I uh, discovered was a pluripotent stem cell that exists in adults. And a pluripotent stem cell is essentially like an embryonic stem cell, except um, it, it is a little bit more limited, right, because it can't form a baby. Uh, but all of us in our body, in, in many of our organs, have these very primitive uh, pluripotent stem cells that contribute, you know, to the healing that, that we're able to see naturally. And there are many things that you can do that uh, preserve and enhance the numbers of stem cells that you have and their functionality. And that really goes hand in hand with all of the things that you've discussed, which is, you know, having a healthy body, uh, keeping your body in an anti-inflammatory state. And, you know, one of the things that I would, you know, really urge people to be conscious of is the incredible fear factor that's invaded society now. And fear destroys your immune system. So I would say, be not afraid, and, and that will help keep your immune system strong mm -hmm. um, and ready to fight not only COVID-19, but uh, keep you younger and fight other infections. Yeah. Oh, I, I so much agree. Um, you know, look at the real data, at least, at least 99.74% recovery rate, and that's according to CDC's data now, and that rate just keeps going up. Um, you know, so yeah, don't live in fear, live in empowerment and knowledge is power. So, um, it was really important that you discovered though, this particular cell, because until you discovered that the only thing, the only cell that was capable of doing some of this, um, stem cell, uh, medicine and research was fetal. 
um, and moving to the adult um, would be a way of st stopping that. So could you explain then, I know, I think many people understand the moral um, issues involved in using a, a fetal um, cell because that comes from a live aborted child, correct? Um, that's how those are derived. Um, and, um, but could you explain the science behind why fetal cells are, are dangerous to, to use for those who might get medicines with them? Well, the, the very primitive embryonic stem cells and fetal stem cells, you know, in the environment in the womb and in the way the cells communicate, their growth is very tightly regulated and controlled. But we don't know, we don't understand that. We can't recapitulate that. And so when you take those cells and you put them in someone else's body, what we see is uncontrolled growth. So that's very dangerous. And, you know, it, it's, it's always better to use a person's own cells when you can do that, mm -hmm. right? So the fact that we all have our own stem cells capable of phenomenal regeneration, you know, makes that the, the de desirable source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things I loved about HBOT, hyperbaric oxygen treatment, is it does increase your own stem cell um, I'm not, I don't even know the right world, words for it, so I'm not going to go there, but I know it, it does increase your own stem cells to do what they do and do it better. Uh, oh, I had a thought. It just squirreled right out of my brain. I apologize it, it, for that. <laughs> intermittent fasting increases in your yes. own stem cells as well. Yeah, that's a fascinating science. Intermit I'm going to have to have somebody on to talk about intermittent fasting. That is really a fascinating thing. In fact, I learned once when I had a friend who was going through cancer treatment, um, and because I was looking at everything out there to try to support this, and she wanted to try all different things, I learned that the gold standard for a cancer treatment is to hold it up against fasting, because Fasting causes apoptosis, the cell cancer cell death, um, and it kind of boosts your immune system, boosts your stem cells, does all this lovely stuff. And it's like, well, if this is the gold standard, why then are they giving my friend, you know, juice and sugary things and all these foods when they're, you know, doing, she's undergoing cancer treatment, why aren't they putting her on a, a really good low carb diet with intermittent fast fasting, if that is the gold standard? Anyway, <clears throat> I squirrel right there. Um, now, there are some vaccines or vaccine components that are manufactured using um, old stem cell, fetal stem cell lines. And they, the FDA, because they didn't understand it and they were very concerned with it when this practice began, they told vaccine manufacturers to chop it all up, to make them all tiny little fragments, thinking that would make it safer. But I believe I have learned from you that that was the exact opposite right thing to do. Right. So some vaccines, you know, a vaccine is a virus that's put in a vial with you know, buffers and sometimes preservatives and adjuvants and whatnot. But the virus has to be made. And a virus is just a long string of either DNA or RNA. 
and it's expensive to make that in a test tube. So scientists mimic nature's way of manufacturing viruses and they infect cells. And so for some of these vaccines, they infect human fetal cells to grow the virus. But when they go to purify the virus, that purification process is never complete. And since the viruses are RNA or DNA, the com components from the cell line, RNA or DNA, are carried into the final product. And you can never get complete purity without sacrificing your yield, right? So um, that those two are inversely related. And there are very high amounts of fetal DNA in these vaccines. And when the FDA, because they, they didn't have all the information that we have now, they were worried about a, an entire gene coming through the manufacturing process and inserting into the, re the vaccinees, the recipient's DNA, and maybe causing cancer. And so they said, well, chop the DNA up because then it, it, you couldn't have a whole gene insert. But the problem with what they did is that it turns out that the DNA is most dangerous when it's chopped up. And we understand the biology because of all of the knowledge that's been gained in the fields of gene therapy, immunology, and even labor and delivery. So what, what happens when a mom carries a baby as the baby comes to term, the placenta breaks down and fragments of the baby's DNA, which is fetal DNA, accumulate in the mother's bloodstream. And when they reach a certain level, they activate the immune system. And what happens is that the mom actually has an immune rejection of the child and that triggers labor. That's a pretty severe immune response. Mm -hmm. Now, when we give these vaccines to children who have really small blood volumes, those fetal DNA fragments are as high, if not higher, than those that are needed to trigger labor. So we know that they're going to activate that immune response. And what's really concerning is that there are, there's a whole population of people who have an underlying genetic susceptibility that that immune response is going to become an autoimmune response. Mm -hmm. And we don't screen for them. We don't protect them. And we have significant numbers of severely injured children because of our vaccination policies. Yeah. You know, the 1986 act has built in language. They were supposed to, in this trade-off of, of giving liability protection to vaccine makers and the government taking responsibility for vaccine safety, they were supposed to find susceptible individuals. They were supposed to be able to find, you know, maybe genetic markers and environmental situations in which a child would be at higher risk of adverse reaction. They have utterly failed to do that. And they continue on this path. Like I, I spoke um, last week about the Moderna vaccine 
where we know that the um, uh, an ingredient in their PGE that is in this vaccine and the other mRNA vaccines, and it may be in some of the adenovirus vaccines that they're developing for COVID, 70% uh, of the population has PEG sensitivity or allergies because it's in so many things. And they're not, pre they're not screening people for this. They're about to go to uh, 30,000 people in their phase three studies and they're not looking. So what you're describing there is what they're, they're continuing these bad practices. Go ahead. What, you know, that that's concerning, but what is more concerning is that they jumped onto these vaccination bandwagons without any understanding of the disease. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the, the disease, uh, people who get severely ill, it tells us we should not vaccinate anyone. And I'll explain that. So in patients who get severely ill, they are actually the only ones who make really high levels of antibodies and they make them at day seven. And yet they continue to get ill, just those patients. And so this looks like an autoimmune disease. It, okay, yeah. so, so what you're saying is that people who are getting severe disease somewhere earlier in their life. No, no, seven Go days ahead. into the disease, okay. they are the ones making really high antibodies. Okay. So they shouldn't get sick. Mm-hmm. Right. They're making antibodies to the virus. It should stop the virus in the track in its tracks. Okay. These are the people who go on to develop severe disease. Okay. And so that looks like an autoimmune disease. And we're working with some MDs in Germany, in the Netherlands to identify the autoimmune target okay. in these patients, okay. right? So these are patients who make high levels of antibodies to the spike protein, which okay. is how the virus enters the cells, okay? So if you don't make a lot of antibodies to the spike protein, you don't get severely ill. So the efforts of the vaccine makers to have you create a lot of antibodies to the spike protein may be setting you up to actually have autoimmune symptoms, reactions? Maybe setting you up to have illness, yes, and potentially chronic autoimmune disease. And the side effects of these vaccines are very concerning that and the the data is not made available to the public mm -hmm. but the serious febrile responses after some of these vaccines are very concerning and with with some of the vaccines so typically if you give two doses of a vaccine you've got a dose twice the second time your fever doesn't go as high okay that's typically what happens but in this case when they dose the second time, more people get the fevers. It, they're just, it's just not following a standard pattern. Um, and it's, it's really looking like an autoimmune 
disease. And, and we understand the science of why that is. And we're working on that right now mm-hmm. and trying to get that information out there, get the government's attention. Whoa, mm-hmm. you should mm-hmm. be looking at this. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that they, the, the scientists assumed that the virus uses the same receptor to enter as SARS-1, right? Way back in 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. But we know now it's a totally different disease. It's a totally different receptor. And the danger of making antibodies against the spike protein, okay, is that it doesn't use the same receptor as the SARS-1. And the receptor that it does use, making antibodies to the spike has the potential to activate your immune system in a dramatic manner. Wow. So, you know, this work was started way back when, right? We didn't Mm -hmm. have the information we know. They put everyone on ventilators and we know now with with SARS-CoV-2, that's the worst thing you can do, right? Mm -hmm. Because then you drive them into ARDS. Mm -hmm. So all of this work was rushed. Yeah. And they need to take a step back Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry if they wasted time and money, but you don't go forward with a vaccine that's probably not safe just because you've invested time and money. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And with, you know, we're going to go on a break here. Um, and I thank you so much for that information. You're telling it things I had not yet heard. I had heard some of it, but, but not in the way you described it. This is so vitally important. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to move to some good news because we've got some good news on the horizon, which is a fantastic product that your company has that has the potential to um, save patients from COVID-19. So, Uh, With that, you're listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We all know that vitamin C is an essential nutrient our immune system needs. But did you know there's scientific evidence that vitamin C can be used safely and effectively to boost your body's immune system to fight infections? To learn how you can live life to the fullest, find the vitamin C expert, Dr. Paul Anderson, on Instagram and Facebook by searching DRA online or visit at consultdranderson.com today. Did you know that 70 to 80% of your immune system resides in your gut lining? Ion Gut Health goes beyond probiotics to strengthen this barrier and balance your microbiome the natural way. This soil-derived supplement is scientifically proven to reinforce your first line of defense, keeping harmful foreign particles out of your bloodstream. Maintain a healthy immune system so that it can protect you when you need it most. Support your immune system with Ion Gut Health. Learn more at ionbiome.com. 
Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including health care choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Dr. Teresa Deicher, and she was telling us all about stem cells, uh, her concerns for any uh, COVID-19 vaccine based on what uh, is now known about how that uh, virus infects the body. This is really important. Um, I want to move though now to hope because I, I like to end the show with listeners having some hope. And you at your company, AVM, developed a product called AVM 0703 that was initially designed to treat cancer and it is in stages of treating cancer. So could start there with us. Tell us about your product. So uh, it's what we did was we took an existing uh, starting material that's already FDA approved and approved by the European Union and used all over the world. And we made a new formulation of it so that it could be safely used at higher doses to treat cancer. And we always intended to treat infectious disease. Um, you know, we just didn't know about COVID. We were planning our first Work would be in HIV, uh, but with uh, COVID, we're planning to uh, begin treating patients with acute respiratory distress syndrome um, in the fall. And that's whether it's caused by COVID or it's caused by influenza. So the way that the drug works, and, and originally we were, we were developing it for another use. And as we took the dose up in mice, uh, we just saw a startling uh, effect was the mobilization of these really powerful immune cells into the bloodstream. And it was just amazing. And so uh, we, we switched and we uh, are taking it into cancer. We're actually uh, have compassionate use going on um, in the U.S. now for the past month and uh, in Germany for um, about 20 months, compassionate use has been uh, going on with our drug. And then our you know, full clinical trials uh, will enroll in October of this year. So we're really excited. Um, you know, it's 
mechanism is, is just to stimulate your body's immune you know, reserves, basically, who, that are really active reserve cells to get out there and get working. <laughs> and so we've had a really nice safety profile that's uh, just thrilling. Um, and, and we hope to continue to see that same kind of safety as we treat more and more, you know, patients with our drug. Um, people who want information can go to our website. We have an active compassionate use program. It's www.avmbiotech.com. Um, and the FDA is actually, we're running the compassionate use through the FDA. So they approve all of the individual patients who are treated. And, and we really launched that because the COVID-19 delayed our official clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So everything was sort of shut down except COVID. And I hear hospitals are laying people off because they're losing so much money because they shut everything else down, which is really a terrible yeah. thing to have happened. So yeah, that, that never really made sense to me. I always thought that they should have just had everybody sort of in the standby mode, like keep operations as usual. But if a, a surge occurs, then you can cancel you know, appointments and, and alter as needed, but just shut down the whole thing. But we, we're not going to squirrel there. We're going to stay focused on this exciting <laughs> news. So, um, so what you're talking about, the compassionate use right now, that's cancer. What are there certain forms of cancer that uh, in particular that qualify or is it any cancer? So our clinical trial is focused on non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but under the compassionate use, the FDA has approved uh, treatment for glioblastoma and prostate cancer. And uh, we believe a breast cancer patient will be treated shortly. Oh, I wish that this product had been out a little bit earlier for my mama. <laughs> um, and then where is it with the ability um, for people to be treated with this for COVID-19? Or is it to compassionate use yet for COVID-19 patients? You know, we could request compassionate use from the FDA for COVID-19 patients as well. And it's really up to the FDA to say yes or no. Um, you know, we had no idea what they were going to say about uh, non-lymphoma patients, right? Mm -hmm. Because all of our preclinical models are in lymphomas and leukemias. Um, but the mechanism of action, these immune cells, so it mobilizes what's called a natural killer T cell. I love that name. And this <laughs> is like a, a supercharged. This is a natural killer T cell, you know, on spinach, like Popeye, right? <laughs> and it, it doesn't care why the cell is abnormal. It, it's going to kill abnormal cells. Doesn't care what kind of cancer doesn't care what kind of virus they are programmed to kill abnormal cells wow. so the fda may well and um we were willing to provide the drug uh it's uh manufactured by a global gmp manufacturer and we would be willing to provide it to COVID patients who are not responding to anything else. So, so if somebody listening um, has a loved one in the hospital with a critical case, now, first of all, would compassionate use is only for very critical patients. Is that correct? 
That is correct. Okay. So if somebody listening, um, or if they're a physician in, you know, listening to this program and they would like to try it, what would they do? Would they reach out to abmbiotech.com and can, can from their side ask for it and try to get permission? So there's a form that they would fill out and it would be forwarded to our compassionate use chief, chief medical officer. Um, and Dr. Lonieski would assist them. They have to file forms with the FDA. It's a very simple process. Uh, we have all of the investigator brochures and templates. And the FDA has approved uh, the two requests so far. I think the turnaround time was 18 hours. Well, you, you've had two requests for, for COVID-19? No, for, for cancer. For cancer, okay. But the approval was very rapid. Okay. So, and we have all of the justification assembled for why this should be beneficial for COVID-19 okay. um, that we would provide to them. Okay. So it's actually a pretty straightforward process. And then the Western IRB has agreed to be the institutional review board for all treatment. And they've agreed for compassionate use not to charge. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And we are willing to provide the drug okay. without charge. Okay. Wow. That is so generous of you guys. This is, I, you know, some of the silver lining in the COVID chaos has been some of the best of humanity coming forward, working together. You know, there's a lot of crazy ugliness, but, you know, I believe the truth and beauty are, are going to win out and win the day. I, I'm just so proud to know you. Um, and I want to do what I can to help people know that this product is out there. So if they do have a loved one or if they're a physician in a position where they would like to try it, because, um, you know, once we find out for sure that it does work, that could just turn things completely around. Um, it, it's very exciting. And I believe I heard you say, or I read maybe on your website that you feel ultimately this product could have preventive potentials. So like for first line responders or, or people in medicine, um, could you speak to that potential use? Yeah, absolutely. So what we would envision, um, so because these natural killer T cells are sort of agnostic, right? They just like to kill abnormal cells. COVID-21 comes around. <laughs> we have a drug already, mm -hmm. right? all the other treatment approaches will have to be tested, right? Mm -hmm. New vaccines made, new antivirals discovered, right? But the, these types of treatments are ready. So it's a solution to future pandemics. We can't go through this. We shouldn't be shut down like this anyway, but we, we can't go through this for every virus that comes up. No. And, you know, we want to protect the vulnerable, but I mean, it's interesting that we are protecting the vulnerable here, but we don't protect the vulnerable from vaccines. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such an inconsistency, but, you know, have the vulnerable stay home and the rest of us need to keep working to help keep the economy going and support them. Yeah, the collateral damage has been oh. staggering and far exceeds anything. Um, so the response to COVID has been the damage, not so much 
the COVID itself. And I don't mean to make light of any, anyone who has lost a loved one. Um, you know, it breaks my heart. It also breaks my heart that I, when I found out that in the United States of America, every single year, upwards of 380,000 people lose their lives to a preventable infection that they acquire in a long-term care facility. Long-term care facilities are where the majority of deaths have been and continue to be. So to me, COVID has revealed, has spotlighted the situations that need attention the most. I feel like if we had spent the billions and trillions, not only spent, but lost in the way the states have been responding to COVID and instead channeled that to figure out why are long-term care facilities so dangerous for preventable infection? Obviously you have very sick people there, but if they're dying because they caught something there that could have been prevented, like COVID, like urinary tract infection, like, you know, all of the other infections, um, you know, it's, it's, and nobody ever talks about that. Uh, so I feel like the, the spotlight on what needs to be fixed I think I, I agree with you 100%. We need to set the world free and protect the susceptible smartly. You know, this, this is not repeatable or sustainable, which makes you realize there's a greater purpose here. Um, there's another goal. The goal isn't really to save lives from COVID-19 at a deep level. It's, it's compliance. It's it's the whole, it makes me sound all conspiratorial and I'm sorry, but it, you know, it's, it's this battle between one no, or the you, other. No, no, you know? <laughs> no, you, you don't sound conspiratorial because there's, there's no consistency. There's no science. There's no logic in the rules and regulations that have been put out. Um, and it's, it, you know, yeah. I, and I think that they do it because people are going to become so like, what? I mean, then they just give up and they say, okay, fine. I'll just stay right. home. I'll do right. Cause you can't make sense of, I no. mean, you know, releasing prisoners instead of giving them masks, if masks work, I mean, right. that's, I mean, yeah. crazy well, putting us all at risk. The way I described it to somebody earlier today, it's sort of like if you build a website and you have placeholder photographs and placeholder language to build the structure of your website, that's what mask wearing is doing. It's building a structure so people will already be compliant and understanding in the stores and the airlines, everybody will be all set up. When we move to the next stage is you take off your mask when you can prove you've had the vaccine. It's all, it's like the framework is being of compliance, of fear, of intimidation. You're only patriotic if you wear a mask. You're only patriotic. You know, there, there, this huge appeal to your emotions, it's not based on science. It's appealed to um, emotion. And I'm going to give you one last minute here to wind up. So what's your, what's your last message for well, listeners? I, I would say I'm wearing, I am very willing to wear a mask because that's patriotic when we can vote in person. Oh. <laughs> and that's the only time I voluntarily put a mask on my face, but that I will do. So yeah, and if you think about it, fear, if you wear a mask, you're diminishing your immune system. You know, there are, maybe short periods where 
I think that's fine to do, but people are wearing them in their homes. Mm -hmm. They're dehumanizing everyone. Mm -hmm. Wear a mask when you kiss your wife. I mean, and there's worse things coming out about that. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. I told gets... my son, if you ever put a mask on to kill your girlfriend, I'm gonna give it to you. <laughs> I mean, how horrible. I know, I agree. And and on the, on that happy note, actually, every um, just please tell your friends and family about AVM Biotech. This is 11:50 a.m. KKNW.